got about a minute or so before it's actually time, but I wanted to uh, just give a few announcements. Didn't want to take any time away from Brother Keith, who's going to be teaching this morning. And um, we want to remind everyone, uh, first of all, let's just welcome each and every one that is gathered here as well as our webcast audience. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. It's always good to be gathered here together on a Sunday morning. Uh, kids are upstairs and they're going to have a great time learning about Jesus and we're going to learn about the Lord down here. So uh, we're looking forward to see what the Lord's going to do. I do have on the back, I think I made it to the back with them. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, this uh, flyer and this is going to be for our homecoming service. So if you would like to take one and hang it up in a restaurant, I'd like for somebody to pick a local restaurant and hang it in it. And uh, you can uh, ask them and they'll let you. But um, we will be having Brother George Scott with us. And he's coming Saturday, October the 21st. So that's not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. So we're just a couple of weeks away from that. Uh, pick up a flyer. And if uh, there's one left and you say, well, I don't want to get the last one, go ahead and get the last one. When I see the last one gone, I'll run off some more. And uh, we want to remember those services. Brother Scott is excited about coming, and we're excited about having him. Also, uh, CAC Trunk or Treat. We're not celebrating Halloween or anything like that. We're trying to witness to our community and give our kids an alternative to be here and enjoy some things right here at CAC. And also, uh, we want to remember our Harvest Time Crusade coming up. That'll be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's November the 17th through the 19th. And uh, we're going to have Brother Buddy Puckett, Brother James Chesser, and Brother Michael Moffin. And we always have a great time during Harvest Time Crusade. I don't know about you, but I'm excited when these services are about to come up because I know that we're going to have some good ministers in here that's going to preach and teach the Word. And we're going to see some people uh, hopefully come to Jesus and uh, give their life to the Lord. And we want to always be praying in that manner. And then, of course, we have our program, our Christmas program, coming up December the 10th. That will be at 6 p.m., so keep that in mind. That's on a Sunday. And then our New Year's Eve celebration, that's the last uh, you know, day of December, and that's going to fall on a Sunday this year. So that's going to be from 9 o'clock to midnight, after midnight, that we come and we celebrate, we sing, we worship, we have a good time, and we're going to see what the Lord's got in store for us uh, in the coming year. Now, um, I, most of you all may have heard, and if you haven't heard, uh, Israel is at war. And uh, the Bible teaches us that when you see Israel surrounded by armies, then look up, your redemption is drawn nigh. I believe it's time to get serious and start looking up. Amen. Um, they said that it, the only way they could describe the carnage and the death and the destruction was what ISIS did back in the day when they were beheading people, dragging them through streets and all this. And that's what they're doing to innocent people, not, not just soldiers. Uh, you know, they're going into homes and they're getting women and children and they're killing them and they're uh, doing some terrible things. And uh, that is going on. And of course, Israel's not going to sit by and let that happen. We know how Israel deals with things. They'll blow them off the map. 
They will, they will wipe them out completely and that will cause Iran to be upset and Iraq to be upset and uh, all of those other countries over there to get upset. And you know, they was just about ready to get a, a peace uh, treaty yes. with, uh, with the, uh, uh, I guess, uh, Arabs and, and things like that. And they thought they was getting close and here this happened. And it happened on an anniversary of a, um, a, uh, uh, an event that happened 50 years ago. So they, they had this happen. When I heard this going on and unfolding yesterday morning on the way to church um, in Ohio, uh, I, I began to just pray, Lord, uh, bring peace to Jerusalem. Bring peace. we got to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That, that's our duty as Christians. And uh, so we want to pray for the peace and safety of all those. But uh, they have the number one air force in the world. So uh, these, these guys are not going to sit by and just let this happen. So uh, the only thing that uh, we can do is pray. Um, our country... Um, you know, may or may not get involved directly, but they will be involved in supporting with uh, ammunition, missiles, and other things. Uh, so uh, that's going to put another hardship on our economy and, and the money that's being spent. But uh, we understand that maybe this will uh, pull us out of, the, out of the business over in Ukraine and uh, get us back on track of what we should be doing, and that's taking care of America and making sure our military is strong and, and all of that. But I'm not here to give a political speech. I'm just here to say, pray for Israel. Pray for Israel. Amen. We have some um, prayer requests that we need to make mention of. Let's remember Scotty Belcher, Amber Lambert, uh, Dora Allen, Sharon and Marvin Dunn, Paula uh, Rowe. Uh, and everybody knows Sid Lester as just Big Sid. That's just everybody knows him as that. He passed away. And uh, we need to remember Sid's family. Uh, he's married to my wife's cousin. And uh, we just need to remember big Sid's family. Also, let's remember my wife's other cousin, Reggie Joe Dotson. He had a wreck and uh, had uh, just had, I think, knee replacement surgery and had this automobile wreck and uh, has caused a little bit of setback. So let's remember him in prayer. And also, uh, Brother DeBarge was telling me that Sister Hannah is not feeling well this morning. Let's remember her in prayer. And also, Sister Pam Bartley will be having surgery on Tuesday. And we need to be in much prayer for Sister Pam uh, that the surgery goes well. There's always that possibility that paralysis could happen. Uh, that place on her neck is uh, wrapped around nerves. And uh, they, they are going to do the surgery uh, and try to avoid any nerve damage. But, uh, you know, uh, it's in the hands of the Lord. And I believe the Lord is able to guide the surgeon's hands and to let him precisely take that, that growth out. And uh, I believe that that will, uh, I'm hoping to hear some good news uh, on Tuesday. So uh, be in much prayer for Sister Pam. And uh, ask the Lord to just guide the nurses, the doctors, anybody has anything to do with her care. So with that said, I just wanted to make those announcements. And at this time, I want to turn it over to Brother Keith. Brother Keith's going to teach us this morning. Let's give the Lord and Brother Keith a great hand. Praise the Lord. I'm going to do things a little differently this morning. 
I'm going to sing a song first. This goes along with the message. I thought about this song as I was studying. It's an old uh, song, uh, Southern Gospel song from years ago. Some of you uh, may know it since we're dealing with an older crowd here today. On that resurrection morning when the redeemed are gathering in, I'll be in that royal number when they call my name. When they all join in and sing hallelujah to the King, I'll cry with a joyful sound, here I am, here I am. shepherd left the fold and found there were ninety and nine but he left the fold to find one little lost lamb here I am when old Gabriel blows that trumpet and we rise up in the air in less time than a split second we'll be changed from here to there there'll be no grief or pain perfect peace and joy will reign home at last i shall proclaim here i am here I am, here I am. I'm the one the shepherd left the fold and found. There were ninety and nine, but he left the fold to Praise the, Lord. Praise, the Lord. Praise the Lord. Maybe you can tell what the lesson is going to be about today. Right. It's going to be about the parable of the lost sheep. And we'll dive right into Luke 15, chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness? And go after that which is lost, until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise 
Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons, which need no repentance. Pastor, will you pray? can be seated. Thank you for standing for the word. I'd like to uh, give honor to our pastor today and uh, the men of God that we have in this church, uh, Brother Caleb, Brother Dwayne, all ministers. And, you know, they dedicate their life and their time to the service of the Lord and to serving the congregation and to serving the people. A lot of times we lose sight of that but I do give each one of them honor today for accepting the call that God's put on their lives. Back to this, uh, a couple of things before we get started, just icebreakers. Question, why would the flock, why, would, why could a flock of sheep not solve a computer puzzle? And this is for the pastor to answer. No clue. There's not enough ram. <laughs> a farmer and his dog are counting sheep in the field. I count 37, says the farmer. I count 40, says the dog. The farmer asks the dog, how did you get 40? He said, I rounded them up. Somebody just got it. <laughs> okay, last one. Where do sheep watch videos online? YouTube. <laughs> Those are kind of dad jokes. <laughs> But today's lesson is a very familiar parable. We've all heard it before. And in just a few short words, this parable is like, it's, it's 103 words long. But Jesus relays a very powerful message to the listeners of his day. But not only his day, but it resonates down through time to us today. Has any of you ever been lost? Not in a spiritual sense. But rather as a person, maybe just driving, you get lost driving. Anybody ever got lost on the road? I don't ever get lost on the road. I'll be honest with you. I just drive around until I find where I'm going. <laughs> Pam says, stop and ask directions somewhere. I don't need to. Men can't do that, can they? And now you got GPS on these phones, and then they take you to the wrong place. So, we've all become lost. Most of us have been on the roads. Sometimes you've been walking in the woods or in the hills, and you get lost. We hear stories all the time about people being lost and never found. 
people get lost at sea. I mean, Gilligan's Island. Just a three-hour cruise. But there are people lost at sea and never found. We have amber alerts for children when they get lost. We have golden alerts for older people when they get lost. I remember a story that I read about uh, a lady hiking on the Appalachian Trail and a few years ago, and she never showed up at the next station. And her husband, uh, when she didn't check in, they organized search parties, never did find her. Several years later, uh, other hikers that had gotten off the trail and looked around, they found her campsite and her remains where she had died. And she was, was, was within just a short distance of the trail. But the attempts to find her were unsuccessful. So they understood what happened to her because she wrote down what was going on and they found her notebook. So in a natural sense, we can become lost. And if you've ever experienced it, it can become terrifying and traumatic. If you've got a small child that wanders away, it's traumatic and terrifying for that child when they can't find their way home. But even over and above that, for the parents and the loved ones trying to find the child, they're frantic. And most of the time, every avenue is exhausted to find someone. You call in search and rescue. They might bring in dogs. They have volunteers, people in the community. Everyone's enlisted, law enforcement, EMS, all to find one person. And we've got 350 million people that live in the United States. But we will do all, make all this effort to find one person. The question is, why do we do that? Most of the time, search and rescue people don't even know the person they're searching for. but they volunteer their time. Most of the time, they're unpaid. It's easy to understand why family or acquaintances will go out and search for somebody, but why do complete strangers do it? Why do they dedicate their time and efforts? Why would they risk the dangers that they do to help find lost people? When Jesus spoke this parable, of the lost sheep, there were many in the audience. The first verse of chapter 15 states that publican, publicans and sinners drew near unto him. Verse 2 then states that the scribes and the Pharisees were also there. But they just talked among themselves and saying that he received sinners and ate with them. They were only there to criticize. Now Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew the hardness of their hearts. So he proceeded to relay this parable to them. And in this chapter also at the same time, he relayed two other parables. One was the widow with the lost coin. Most everyone remembers that. 
she searched her house high and low. She had lost her money. Now, if we lose money, what do we do? We do, don't we? I know when I lose my car keys, I really look for them. <laughs> now it's your phone, isn't it? Everything's on your phone anymore. Can't lose your phone. But the lost coin was the next parable that he relayed, and the last one was about the prodigal son. Now, all these are related. They're all about very similar things. But it's important for the church, church to understand the principles of God's mercy toward the lost and how, as a church, we should apply those principles. Now, we find that Jesus, he was allowing the publicans and the sinners to draw near unto him, what the Bible says, to draw near. It's interesting, though, that the religious folks, the people who were saved, the church leadership of the day, they weren't interested in drawing nearer to Jesus. They were only interested in criticizing what he was doing by associating with sinners. They were above that. We can't associate with a sinner. We could be tainted by that person. But Jesus didn't stand on religious ceremony. He didn't demand or desire an exalted position in the church. Nor did he wish to spend his time ministering to people who was not interested in seeking out those that needed salvation. It's interesting to me also that the ones that were supposedly saved, the church folks, the religious ones, were the ones that needed him the most. They were the ones which resisted him the most. They were the ones that thought they had a corner on salvation. They were it. They were God's chosen people. They had a status quo, if you would. They had the power of the day. In other words, they had become a religious elite. They were putting burdens on the people that they couldn't bear. Now, how's that any different than today? If we look at our government, most people would say that we don't have Republican or Democrat anymore. We have a uniparty, a ruling elite class that's in Washington, D.C., and they place edicts upon all the people in the country. In a sense, that was what was happening back in the day. But Jesus sought to tear down that mindset. He knew that that mindset was evil. There's another truth in the Bible. There's no new thing under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1 and 9. So if we think that we're any different than back in the day, 
when Jesus was relaying this parable. There's nothing new under the sun. The church of today can fall prey to the same temptations of the religious folks that they did 2,000 years ago. If you think about it, the business of the church, the formality, the organization, the bureaucracy of the church, it creates a religious elite that has little interest in the true work of the God, the true work of God. It's the business of the church. What is the business of the church though? The true business of the church is seeking and saving that which is lost. We can become so wrapped up in the business of the church that we lose sight of what the true business of the church is. The business of the church becomes a routine. What I'd say, it's form over substance. Form is what we see, what we look at. It's a form. Substance, though, is the meat and potatoes. It's where we thrive. It's where we get our strength is in the substance. The form is just window dressing. So it can be form over substance. We become comfortable in church, don't we? We want to be associated with the best people. We look for affirmation from people who we perceive to be religious royalty. The truth about the church, though, is that it was never supposed to be about church buildings. It was never supposed to be about monuments that were built to please the egos of those that built them. The concept of church has evolved over time to mean a group meeting where we gather together at a predetermined time and we sing our songs, we clap our hands, we listen to the minister preach, we may have an altar service and think that we're doing God's will. And if we think about that, I can understand how I felt that way in the past. I'm not saying anything bad about anybody in this congregation. This is me. In one regard, we are doing God's will, though. The Bible does say that we should gather together and so much the more as we see the day approaching. So it's right and beneficial for us to have church as we know it. Jesus went to the temple. He provided an example. Jesus went to the temple. He taught in the synagogue. He observed the Sabbath. So in today's vernacular, he went to church, the same as we are commanded to do. But the mission of the church is much, much, much more than that. The mission of the church is simply to be the body of Christ. 
we are to do what Christ would do if he were in bodily form on this earth. We are his hands, his feet, his ears, his eyes, his tongue. It is the church's responsibility to reach out to a lost and dying world. We are to show the mercy of God and to lead others into a relationship with God. And Jesus didn't do that by just going to church and teaching in the synagogue or singing in the choir and then going home. He went out of the church. He went into sinners' homes, just like this, where he was at in the parable today. He met them at the wells. He met them on the seashore. He met them in the olive trees. Those people weren't welcome in church. But you know where they were welcome? In Jesus' heart. Now we come to a formal service to worship God. And that's good and appropriate, and we should do that. But we go outside those doors to serve God. If the church only exists inside these four walls for you, you're not part of the church at all. The church has been and will always be about individuals. It's about a one-on-one -on -one encounter with other people. As we study the Bible, we find that although Jesus and his disciples did attend church services of the day, the bulk of their ministry occurred in small groups, in small settings, and in formal meetings. Jesus taught in houses, along the road, on the mount, seashore, and wells, just to name a few. He was in a house when they tore the roof off to lower a man for him. He wasn't in the synagogue or in a church service. The apostles did the same thing. They didn't have formal churches, but rather they met in people's homes, outside what we would call old brush arbors. A lot of times they were hiding to avoid persecution. When Paul was preaching at midnight, he was preaching in a house. Guy got sleepy and fell out of a second-story window. I've had a few preachers that put me to sleep too. <laughs> Pastor notwithstanding. So, you know, a formal church service was a kind of a foreign concept to them. They were out with the people. 
And if we read the Bible, it says, go where? Highways and hedges and compel them to come. That's what the apostles were doing. Wherever the sinners were is where they went. And I think that's a key concept of the parable today. Jesus uses the lost sheep of a flock of 100 to prove this point. So why did Jesus use sheep so often in the Bible, in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament? Why does God reference sheep as followers of all the animals in the earth? Why does he reference sheep? Everybody ever thought about that? That's perplexed me at times. Has anyone here ever tried to keep sheep? Tried to be a shepherd of a flock? No one has any experience with sheep. Kind of eastern Kentucky, you don't have much experience with that. Now, I've heard somebody try to describe what herding cats would be. We talk about how difficult that could be. That's probably true. But I wanted to find out a little bit about what characteristics that sheep had to try to understand this relationship. So we're all just studying today. We're learning together. So we have a little bit of time discuss this. The first thing that they'll tell you about sheep is that sheep have no sense of direction. None. Many people say that sheep are stupid. I don't know how intelligent they may be, but let's just say that they don't have any sense of direction. In fact, they'll follow whoever's leading them. I've often heard in the news today, they've got a, a thing where people just blindly vote for somebody, blindly vote for a party. There's a phrase for that. They call them sheeple. They just blindly follow whatever road they're on. So, even if it leads them off a cliff, they'll follow. There's a saying that if a friend jumps off a cliff, would you follow him? Well, actually, sheep would. There's a news story uh, that talked about in eastern Turkey, there were about 1,500 unattended sheep that fell off a cliff. 1,500 sheep flock. The shepherds were taking a breakfast break a little bit away from the flock. The first 400 that went off the cliff, they fell to their deaths. The remaining 1,100 that fell off didn't kill them because the sheep that fell off the cliff first cushioned their fall. The 
first 400 sheep were like a big fluffy cushion. But apparently, as the first one started going over the cliff, they just all blindly followed right along and fell right off the cliff behind the others. The ones in the back couldn't see what was happening. They just knew that the flock was moving in this direction. So they were pushing along with them. Once the ones got to the edge of the cliff, they were like, oh, i got to put the brakes on. But the ones in the back just pushed them right over. Because they blindly follow each other right off the cliff. So when you think about that as a sheep, and we're described as sheep in the Bible. Many, many, many times we're described as sheep. So we think about, we don't have a sense of direction, do we? As a person, as an individual, we don't have a sense of direction. So we have to take our sense of direction from the shepherd. The shepherd has to lead and guide us. If we've got the right shepherd, the good shepherd, we're going to go in the right direction. If we're led by a wrong shepherd, an evil shepherd, or as a lot of people are today, no shepherd at all, we're going over the cliff. So we've got to be very careful because as a sheep, we don't have a sense of direction. We want to do our own thing, don't we? Every man's right in his own eyes. Boy, that grass looks green over there. I'm going to go chew on that a while. But we find out that's sitting over top of the septic tank, don't we? Number two, sheep are defenseless. They are a prey for almost anything out there. They've got no defense. A lot of animals, they've got big teeth, or a porcupine has quills that it can protect itself with, or something has claws to... Another animal may be fast enough to try to get away. Sheep doesn't have them. You ever seen a sheep run? They're not very fast. So they can't defend themselves very well. Have you ever seen a, a sheep growl? I've never heard one. I haven't heard one growl. Even on YouTube, I haven't heard one growl. Have they ever seen one bark or bite? They do have two things in their arsenal, though. When sheep are frightened by a noise, they will all run away together. They don't separate. They all run together. They know that their strength lies in their numbers and being together. 
So they have a, a kind of protection as a group, as a whole, but not individually. And the other thing a sheep can do, a sheep can kick a little bit. Like a ewe protecting her young, yeah, they've been known to kick. That's the way we are. We might kick a little bit. In the hills, we somebody kicks, well, they're bucking you too, right? We use all those little soliloquisms. So other than those two defense mechanisms that sheep have, other than that, they're just a Snickers bar waiting to be eaten by the wolf. If they don't stick together. But same way we are. We can kick a little bit and we can run, but mostly we're defenseless. God compares us to sheep in the Bible because we need his protection. We need to stick together as fellow Christians. What does the... Jesus said about sheep, says, look at this verse. When in Matthew 9, 36, he said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So when we look at this, we are defenseless. And you know, we can't withstand the wiles of the devil without the Spirit of God. We don't have the strength to overcome that. We would be subject to that temptation. But with the Spirit of God, we can say, get thee behind me. And the Bible also says that he is a strong tower and the righteous run into and are safe. So our defense is in Jesus Christ. Third thing, sheep can't get up without help. You ever know that? I didn't know that. Sometimes sheep will turn over on their back. And I imagine this is when they're full of wool and everything. But like a cockroach or a turtle, their legs are just flailing up in the air. And actually there's an old shepherd's term for this. Uh, an old English shepherd's term. It's called being cast down. Cast down. A cast sheep is actually a pretty pitiful sight. You know, you ever turn a big fat tick over on its back? <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I thought you might have played with ticks when you was a boy. <laughs> well, that was bad too, wasn't it? <laughs> but they're just their legs just go just like that. They can't turn over. 
Now, if the shepherd doesn't go and lift up the sheep, put it back on its feet, it'll die. It's completely helpless to the prey that is around it when it's in that position. Furthermore, it could be left behind when the flock moves in. How many times have we been cast down? We can't get up by ourselves, can we? We can't get up by ourselves. It takes the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ to lift us up. You know, I, I thank God that he loves us enough to get us right-sided when we fall over. I know he compares us to sheep for a good reason. And some of this I know is humorous, but it does apply to what, how we are as people. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and 11 that he's going to tend his flock like a shepherd. He's going to gather together the lambs in his arms. And he's going to carry them in his bosom. Now think about that. How much love God has for us to be able to do that. Because we're not easy to love a lot of times. Number four. Sheep are emotional. And they recognize the shepherd's voice. Sheep have a very remarkable instinct for knowing the voice of their shepherd. They're emotional animals. They can even detect strangers. And amazingly, they will fear a stranger's voice and they'll run. Since they're emotional, they have an ability to build friendships with other sheep and they stick up for each other. They can also get very anxious and distressed very easily. And we can learn a whole lot from these animals. What they, what they lack in direction, they make up for in loyalty. They know the voice, they recognize the voice of their shepherd. I think that when God compares us to sheep in the Bible, sometimes we aren't so loyal though. We may not be good sheep. The black sheep of the family. We've all heard that term. like an anti-venom perhaps we don't know Jesus' voice because we aren't communing with him the way that we should we don't recognize the voice of the shepherd a lot of times we want to go our own way because we don't recognize the voice of the shepherd we do have the ability though to stop and listen and hear the voice of the shepherd. 
that's hard for us sometimes. We want to do our own thing. We do. How many in here would consider themselves stubborn? A lot of hands raised. Mine's raised. Now, what animal is associated with being stubborn? Mule. Anybody ever been called mule-headed? It reminds me of an argument that a man and woman were having driving down the road. They had gotten so mad they weren't talking to each other. They're driving down the road and they seen a mule up on the side of the road. The husband looks over at the wife. He says, relative of yours? And she looks back at him, yes, in-law. <laughs> Number five, sheep are not meant to carry burdens. Now think about that one. You'll never see a sheep carrying a pack on its back. Other animals are good for carrying things horse, a mule, camel, ox, uh, they use oxen to plow fields with, pull teams, uh, have uh, pull wagons and things, but you never see a sheep doing that, do you? Never see a sheep being ridden, do you? Maybe at a, a fair or something for I put little kids on and see how long they can stay on them. But they're not meant to carry a burden. They're not meant to carry a heavy load. In fact, they would be crushed by a weighty burden. That's why they have to shear them so often. They can't carry that heavy wool around. But we're compared as sheep in the Bible. So guess what? We're not meant to carry burdens either. But we do. We do. We're not meant to carry those burdens. We are meant to give those burdens to the shepherd. The good shepherd has already said he is going to carry our burdens for us. His yoke is easy and his burdens are light. The Bible also says in Psalms 55 and 22 to cast your burdens on the Lord and he will carry them. So we're not meant to carry those burdens. But we try to hang on to them, don't we? We do. I know as men, we want to be independent. We want to show how strong we are. Don't we? That's why men go to the gym. 
want to try to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, they want, you know, it's just like they have a desire to carry these burdens. But we can't do that. We can't survive doing that. We were never meant to carry those burdens. Number six, sheep will settle for less. Sadly, Sheep are content with filth. So long as it satisfies them at that moment. Furthermore, they will stink and they don't even know it. Don't even realize it. Blissful ignorance. Truthfully, a sheep lacks any discernment or judgment concerning those things. They don't really even know what's good for them. And we're not much different. Many times, we might see a dirty puddle in front of us. Sin, for instance. We go straight in because we think that's pleasing to us. We think we get satisfaction. We drink out of the puddle and our thirst is quenched for a second. In reality, we only become poisoned and we stink. Sin even looks enticing at times, we know that. And we know, many times, we know that it harms us, yet we still do it. We're blinded by the truth and we simply lack judgment. God compares us to sheep in the Bible because we always don't know what's good for us. In the 23rd Psalm, we all know what that says, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. the Lord has to be your shepherd to do that. If he's not our shepherd, we wander off and become prey for this world. Number seven, all the stuff that we've talked about in the past, you might be surprised about this. Sheep are valuable. They're valuable. The significance of a sheep in the Bible, it equated to wealth for the individual that had them. It wasn't about money so much as if a person had a large flock of sheep, he was a wealthy person. They were treated as prized possessions. We can see time and time again people who went out and tended the sheep. If you look at uh, David in the Bible, eventually became the king of, of uh, Israel. But one of his jobs was he was a shepherd boy. He tended the sheep. 
and he did a good job. He protected the flock against the bear and against the lion, against any enemies that came against his sheep. He was willing to protect them. Now, don't you think that as God was looking at that, he seen what David was doing, what he was willing to do to protect the small flock that he was given to look after? That the big job that he was destined to have later on of protecting the flock of God, Israel, that he would use the same fervor and persistence with that. He was faithful in the small things, and God made him ruler over many. So sheep are valuable. And shepherds made all kinds of sacrifices to protect their flocks. Their livelihood was at stake. But we look at that as a sheep. We look at that sacrifice that that shepherd made. There's no other sacrifice that we can talk about other than when Jesus sacrificed himself. Our good shepherd sacrificed himself, allowed himself to be killed, for the flock. God views us as priceless. Someone that would give their own life for us. When we're totally unlovable, that he gave his life for us. In John 1.29, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Number eight, sheep cannot care for themselves when they're wounded. When a sheep gets a wound or something bites it, they can't care for themselves. Other animals lick a wound until it heals, but a sheep can't do that. You ever seen a sheep reach around and try to, they don't do it, they can't do it. They need a shepherd to tend their injuries. They need somebody to put a salve on, to wrap it up, to look after the wound until it's healed. But that's the way Jesus is with us. He wants to tend to our wounds. He wants to provide healing for us. He wants to mend our brokenheartedness, all the problems that we have. Number nine, and the last one, is sheep are innocent. In Christianity, sheep is symbolized by gentleness, right? purity and innocence when they were putting the blood on the post for the Passover what did they have to do they had to use a pure sheep unblemished unspotted and they took the blood and put on the doorpost and that provided protection 
So it was a symbol of innocence and purity. Now, conversely, goats are known as being independent, opinionated, destructive. Uh, I've often heard that a goat will eat a uh, uh, steel can. But if you know anything about Satanism, what do they use as their symbol? They use a goat. But we are to be as innocent as lambs, pure and righteous. So those are basic facts that we know about sheep. And I thought it was kind of interesting as I studied for this lesson when I, I could see those similarities and I could understand why we are called sheep. But in the parable that once he found this sheep, the shepherd went and looked for the one out of the nine. And once he found it, he placed it on his shoulders and carried it back. And then what did he do? He rejoiced. Jesus ended the parable there by saying that there would be more rejoicing over one lost sheep than over 99 just people. We can go a lot of directions in that lesson, and a lot can be learned from that. And what, what the responsibility of the church, there's nothing more important here that we do is to seek and save that which is lost. We cannot be saved ourselves without a burden for the lost. I firmly believe that. We cannot be saved ourselves without an outreach for the lost, without a desire to see them saved. That's what we're called to do. Not just inside this building, but outside of these walls is where we do our work. We go out there to a world that's lost and hurting. They are trying every conceivable thing to mask their pain whether it's drugs, alcohol, addictions, to this or that. But it's our job to present them a better way. Now the lost sheep was reconciled to the shepherd and there was much rejoicing. It's interesting to me that it doesn't matter how you're separated from the flock. Whether you're a young sheep that chose to wander off or whether you were an older seasoned sheep that left the flock. The shepherd still went out looking for that one. It didn't matter how they left, what their situation was. He went after them. So the same is true today. Those who have never darkened the church house door to the backslider that spent the majority of their life in church, the shepherd is still earnestly seeking that person. As a church, we have to be also. Amen. We can't say, oh, they did that to themselves. They made the choices. That's not on me. 
that's kind of a pious, righteous attitude. Because we could be in that same place. But for the grace of God. So we can't be in the will of God without that singleness of mind, heart, and purpose of seeing the lost saved. We have to develop a passion for lost souls. And that should be our mission and our purpose. I'm going to turn it over to Brother Ray. How many enjoyed that? Amen. A great, a great lesson this morning about how, how we are to act, how we are to be. You know, our similarities to sheep. I know another scripture said that it, they was even that, that our Lord was led like a like a sheep, led to slaughter, dumb it even called him, you know. But there's times, amen, that we, we get lost, don't we? And I don't like to admit that. As a man, Brother Keith, I don't like to admit that, what he was saying this morning. I don't like to admit I, at times I, I need saving, don't you? At times I need direction. I, how many enjoyed that? I really enjoyed that lesson this morning. Amen. Anybody getting any older? Been married a little bit longer. Amen, I know you. Well, here comes my elder. <laughs> I tell him that, but really I'm his elder. Like seeing those birthdays, don't you? Like I said before, it definitely beats the alternative. Anybody got any sowing seed they'd like to give 
to a child maybe and let them learn about what it's like to plant a seed in the church of God. Amen. Right. JJ knows what it's about now. He likes that. <laughs> he said, that's different. Hey, that's different there. Whoa, he said. <laughs> I wasn't sure he was wanting to let that one go. Amen. Let's give him a hand clap. Amen. Some more coming. Our nursery class has a song, and it, while they're getting that ready, Brother DeBarge wants to bring the buckets. This is, this is the last Sunday, and then Wednesday will be the last service. We'll be able to put money into the buckets, and these, y'all know what these are by now, don't you? These are the pie buckets. And they're going to let, uh, they're going to nominate, pick someone uh, to draw a name out of the hyphen, and... They'll be the one that gets to choose to get to come up and pick the name, right? And get to pie the person. Yeah. So somebody, somebody's really going to get to do something fun. <laughs> nice try, ain't it? Anyway. As we do this and the uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 that don't count here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't know what to do. I mean, he's going to help show these children how to build up the temple of the Lord. Right. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. Lord, give me this this morning. I was looking in my apps trying to find the lesson for this morning, Brother Keith. And I've not received the new, the new lesson. Or if I have, it's got lost in the mail somewhere. And uh, I was just praying back there for the Lord to give me something. I feel like that he laid something on my heart this morning for Timothy. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20 says, where, For where two or three 
are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. Turn and look at somebody and say, he's here. He's here, he's here because I know he's here. I felt him this morning. I'll back up just a couple of verses. And I want to do something out of the ordinary. Brother Keith was talking about that this morning. And earlier the Lord put something on my heart to call Sister Pam and Sister Peniel up here. Because listen to this. How about my shot Matthew 18 and 18 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that whatever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 19 says, Again, I say unto you that if any two, it says, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything. Brother Keith was talking about binding together. Amen. Right here's your family. He says, if any two shall agree on earth as touching anything. Now I'm going to tell you this weekend, we didn't get the news that I wanted to hear at the doctor. Amen. I wanted to hear, Brother McKinney, that Pikewood made a mistake. That everything was wrong. We didn't get that news. But we didn't get bad news, Sister Tennille. Amen. Because he said, we're going to do everything that we can do humanly possible. But I looked at the doctor, I said, and it's in God's hands. Amen. I know what my God can do. Amen. I know, Sister Pam, Sister Tennille, what my God can do. Amen. And I know what my church, my church is a praying church, Brother McKinney. We stick together and we pray. Amen. We're going to agree upon this thing to be done. And it says, anything that you shall ask. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, I know we're starting this service a little bit different. But, amen, I believe revival has started to take place. I believe it's already got started, amen, with the baptism. And I believe it's going to come full force when this church gets on the same page, binding together just like the Word of God says, amen. You all come to the front and let's gather around. We're going to start this with a prayerful prayer, amen. Hallelujah. Because revival's going to come. When people start hearing about miracles and baptisms, amen, revival's coming to this church, amen. You all gather together, amen. In the mighty name of Jesus, hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus, God, we pray for these, God. We gather together, God, in unity of faith, God. In the name above every name, God, knowing that you're going to get a miracle, God, that you're going to get a miracle, God, in the name above every name, God, overshadow the I mean, he's going to bind together with his church, amen. Not just for these two instances, amen. But for everyone, hallelujah, we're going to bind together, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, God, I praise your mighty name, God. We glory.
Touching Jesus is all that really matters. And in your life will never be the same. There is only one way to touch Him.
Touch him. And that.
Let's give the Lord another mighty hand clap because the Lord is good. Oh, hallelujah. If there's anybody else that needs to be baptized in Jesus' name, there's no better time to do it now. And uh, the water's cold, but you know what? Hell's hot. And I'd rather go down cold and miss that place called hell than to just wait for a time that may be convenient and it may never come. I believe the Lord's getting ready to come. I believe revival's breaking out. I believe those that really want to make it to heaven are really serious about it. Amen. Amen. You know what? I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am. Because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. 
Well, I say what a fitting song for, for this afternoon, wouldn't you? Amen. How many's glad that, that they can say that he is yours? Amen. See, church, all, Brother Keith, all you got to be willing to do is step out of the ordinary. And like Brother Keith was teaching this morning, I believe he done a little preaching. Amen. I'm not trying to prophesy. Amen. But we got to do it outside these four walls. We have to have love, but we got to have boldness. You know, just, just love ain't enough. There's a lot of places offer you love. Amen. You can get love a lot of different places. Amen. But we've got to have the truth. We got to have boldness in the Word of God. Amen. And He's mine. Somebody say that with me. He's mine. Amen. Yes, He's mine. If you walked in broken, you're gonna walk 
mention of his name. Just the mention of his name. Everything can change. Everything can change. Just a mention of his name. Just a mention of his name. Just a mention of his name. Everything can change. His name is Jesus. 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 His name is service. Hey man, Sister McKinney didn't get it, just get up this morning and say, well, we ain't done these three in a while. Hey Amen. Uh, from a new name written down in glory. When we was practicing these, Sister McKinney, I could feel the power of the Lord, the presence of the Holy Ghost. From a new name, there's been a new name written down in glory, sister. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To the mention of his name. Hey Amen. Brother James, just the mention of his name. Demons has got to flee. Hallelujah. And now we're going to speak the name Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, I speak Jesus. Whatever you've been facing, I speak Jesus. Whatever tomorrow holds, I speak Jesus.
prayer. Lord, we come before your presence. We thank you for this opportunity that you have blessed us to be gathered here today. What a mighty, powerful presence you are in this place today. I pray, Lord, that you would move in a mighty way for those that have to give. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them and bless the offering that it will reach farther than we ever dreamed. And Lord, we're going to give you the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
I just want you. Amen. Seems like every song has been directing us to the presence of the Lord. And it just seems like that everyone that has given their all to the Lord has received something here today. I believe the Lord has moved in a mighty way and I believe we're going to reap the benefits of it in days to come. Amen, amen. I, I told Brother Harper about us baptizing three, uh, two Wednesdays ago. And then uh, I'll just have to tell him we baptized one today. Amen. So glad for Sister Nicole. Amen. Uh, she is uh, doing everything now to just get closer and ready. And uh, I believe it's time to get ready. And uh, we're going to uh, let Brother DeBarge come. He's going to minister today for us. And uh, we're going to just ask the Lord to give him the words that is going to not only uh, build upon what we've already received, but it's going to take us to a higher place. It's going to take us to a higher place. So let's give the Lord and Brother DeBarge a great hand. Let's give that hand unto the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Normally we have to come into the house of the Lord and by observing we see who has come to praise and who has come to sit. I'm glad that there's more praisers in the house of the Lord this morning than there are sitters. I never want to be one that is amongst the sitters whenever the presence of God is moving. Because if I can't praise him now, he will not allow me to praise him for eternity. Glory. So this morning, if you would turn with me to 2 Chronicles 20, we'll start at verse 13. And as you're flipping there, I talked with my wife this morning. She, she tried. She did. She was up and she was getting ready, but she's had a bad migraine. She's nauseous and was ready to, to throw up. She said, I, I just can't make it. Keep me in your prayers. And I was talking to her and I said, baby, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. God's getting ready to do something great for someone, if not a bunch of people, today. I said, and it, it would explain why I've been being fought so much. I have. I've been being fought. And, you know, in the moment, you don't know why you're being fought. But today, I've seen why. Because God inhabits the praise of his people. If the devil can distract us. And keep our minds away from praise. He can keep our hearts away from God. But today we have pushed past the pain. We've pushed past the, the things that we need to be doing outside of here. And we have gotten to the presence of God. Second Chronicles 20 and 13. And it says, And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon... Jezel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benani, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. I did try and prepare to read these. They're just hard. Came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. Now, through my stumbling, you might not have caught that. On a specific individual came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. And now King 
Jehoshaphat, thank you. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of the great multitude, but for the battle is not yours, but God's. Amen. Amen. That's something to worship about. Verse 16 says, Tomorrow go ye down against them. It doesn't say run away. It doesn't say cower in your tents. It says, Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. 18 says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground. And Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the Kohenites, uh, Kohathites and the, the children of the Korth, I'm going to have to take a course in pronouncing biblical names. Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on him, on high. Verse 20 says, And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of uh, Tico. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he, uh, when he had consulted the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And they say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 22 and last verse, it says, And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Anamon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Church, today I want to talk to us briefly on the subject title, The Praise of His People. The Praise of His People. Let's go before the Lord in prayer right now. Lord, I pray that you begin to show us who you are. Begin to reveal to this congregation and all those that are watching the way of webcast. Begin to reveal who you are to this dark world. Lord, we know who you are and we want to share that with some people. We want them to experience your great power. And God, inhabit the praise of your people right now. In Jesus' mighty name, in the church said amen. God bless you. You may be seated but not silent. I was trying to get through this scripture, and every time I would get to a point, I, I felt an unction to preach, and I was like, i got to continue. i gotta, I got to read the word. It's, it's easier for me to preach than read. <laughs> but we understand as we read this brief story that although they were faced with a trial and a tribulation, although they, they were faced with a great multitude, whenever they were... Whenever they were reminded who their God was, that's when they were reminded what they needed to do in the face of the adversary. He set up singers to praise, although he was there to fight. He set up people ready to worship, although there was an enemy ready to devour. He said, Noah, my God has told me what I need to do, and I need to praise him. 
although I'm here because there's an adversary coming against me, I'm also here to worship. I'm also here to praise. Because you know why? Jesus inhabits the praise of his people. As we begin to dissect our verses of Scripture, we begin to understand the story that took place as the author recounts the specifics of the events. We see the format of the story begin to structure and lay out before us. We're informed that there is a problem. There is a situation that a group of people have to deal with. There's another trial to add to the list, if you would. If we continue to read, though, just as quickly as we acknowledge the problem, we're able to acknowledge the solution. Amen. We're able to acknowledge the solution to the dilemma that has arisen for God's people. My desire this morning is to begin to dig into the scripture and discover the key to God's people's success. And church, let me tell you, that key is praise. Why? Because anytime you begin to do anything, anytime you begin to build anything, you have to start somewhere. And through scripture and through the studying of God's word, we understand the beginning to get to where God's trying to take us is praise. Because praise leads into worship. Clapping your hands is praise. Lifting your voice is praise. Sacrificing something of yourself for the Lord is praise. He inhabits the praise of your people, of his people. So whenever we begin to clap our hands, we begin to sing along with the praise. And we're not up here for our health. We're up here to lead us into an atmosphere of praise and of worship. So whenever we get to an atmosphere of praise, he begins to rearrange some things. The atmosphere begins to shift. He says, I'm taking these people that are dealing with some things. I'm taking these people that have to walk through this dark world each and every day, and I'm going to elevate them to a height that they've never experienced before because they're willing to sacrifice some praise. Hallelujah. We find that if we continue reading in this chapter, we would see in 2 Chronicles 20 and 37 that Eliezer and the sons of Dodava and Mursa prophesied against Josephat, saying, Because thou have joined thyself with Iaza, the Lord hath broken thy works, and the ships were broken that they were not able to go to Tarshish. When people leave the presence of God and stop giving him praise, he stops supplying the needs. He stops healing those that are sick. He stops putting back together those that are broken. Because why is he going to continue to pour out whenever no one responds? This, if we will acknowledge this, that he stops because we stop praising. This is the Lord's way of reminding us, I want you, you need me. Come on somebody, that's truth. Now, if we were to go back and look at verse 13, we're able to see an important piece of information. The Bible says, and all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, with their wives and with their children. Church, bring your family to the house of God. Even if they're crawling around under the pew, they are here in the house of the Lord. They're here in the presence of the Lord. They're being exposed to the presence of the Lord. You need to expose your children to God's presence in sincere praise. So that they are being exposed to what is important. They're being exposed as to how things are supposed to happen. 
They're not going to grow up and come to a church to worship if they've never seen it. Hallelujah. If we do not expose our children, if we do not expose our families to the presence of God, they will be exposed to this world. It is our duties as a parent. I am now a parent. I can say that. It is our duties as a parent, as a loved one, as a family member, and especially as men, the head of the household, to bring our families and our children to the presence of God and expose them. It is our choice as to which they will be exposed to because they will be exposed to one or the other. You need to choose which is better and choose correctly and carefully because their lives depend on it. Amen. In verse 14 it says, Then upon Jezel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, and the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, the sons of Asaph, come the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And what comes next is very important. I need you to, to catch it, to pay attention to this. Verse 15 says, And he said, Hearken ye all of Judea and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king of Josephath. Uh, Lord, I can't speak. Little help, brother. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Thank you. The Lord's, or the Lord's trying to get me there, and I'm being stubborn. Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. Don't be afraid about what's in front of you. Know who's standing behind you. Okay? This is the Lord speaking through a man. Reminding the people that are supposedly God's people. Say, hey, listen up. Be not dismayed. Be not afraid of what's in front of you. Remember who your God is. Remember what your God's brought you through. Remember what, what God has done for you in the past, and you'll be able to walk through in the future. No, we look at, we look at our past, and we, we remember the hard times. We look at our past, and we remember uh, what it used to be like, what we could go back to. But never do we look at our past and say, this is what God did for me. This is where God brought me from. If we forget about what God has brought us from, and we focus only on what, what we used to enjoy doing in the past, that's exactly where you're going. If you look behind you, you're going in reverse. Our praise is the vehicle to going forward in Christ. This man in the midst of the congregation was overcome by the power of the Holy Ghost, and the Lord began to speak through him. God's presence showed up where men, women, and children were, and his will was made known. His presence was made known, and it induced praise. When there was a situation that showed up on God's people's doorsteps that the adversary would use to induce fear and delusion, God turned it and created an opportunity for his glory to be seen and acknowledged. Just because a storm shows up in your life doesn't mean the devil's going to take you out. It, mean, it means that God's getting ready to show up and show out. Sometimes God has to send some storm clouds just so we will look up. Because human nature is that we like to look at the problem right in front of us instead of looking at the solution beyond it. 
praising him is the solution. God is the solution. Knowing how to get to him is the solution. Amen. Amen. When there was a situation that showed up on their doorstep, God used this as an opportunity for his power to be seen, his glory to be acknowledged. Just because the storm shows up in your life doesn't mean that the devil's there to take you out. It means God's preparing some things. He's ready to remind us who he is. We as human beings most times never learn. We see God bring us through time and time again, and yet every time we face a mountain, we are ready to go back to Egypt. Woe is me. Every time we, we begin to look behind us and say, man, that was so much better. Oh, the onions and the leeks that we had. Forgetting the price that we was paying. Forgetting the slavery that we were in. Forgetting the bounds of addiction that we were in. No, we're just looking back at how good it used to be. The good old days. No, I'm going to praise him in the hard times because that place is better than where he's brought me from. I'm going to take a moment and step away from my notes. Some people need to be reminded that praise is the instrument that begins to send up a, a savory a, 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 a aroma unto the Lord. That's what he desires. You want to get the attention of God? Begin to send up some praise. Stop complaining about your situation. Stop telling everybody about it and begin to tell God about it. Say, I am not some statistic. I am not someone that's going to pass away in the corner. I'm not, I'm not someone that's going to sit down and be quiet. If I'm facing a situation, I'm going to praise about it. We're not a bunch of people in front of a grizzly bear supposed to curl up and pretend that we're dead. We're not going to be a church that lays on the ground and the devil comes up and kicks and says, oh yeah, this one's dead too. The way that someone knows that you are alive is that you're moving. If you want God to know that, hey, I'm still here, don't leave me. I'm still here, I might be struggling a little bit. You need to begin to praise in your situation. Say, I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what they say. I don't care about their diagnosis. I'm going to praise you anyhow. I'm going to praise them when there is no music. I'm going to dance whenever it's uncomfortable. Hallelujah. Some of you may sit there and say, it's easy for me to say that. I've, I'm probably just regurgitating things that I've heard. No, I may be young, but I've experienced life. I've been protected. I have been blessed with a beautiful family. Growing up under a, a, a connected household, not a broken household, but yet the devil still attacks those. The devil is no respecter of persons. He will come after your children. It does not matter how many times you preach to them, make sure to pray. You need to make sure they are praying. It's easy to tell someone how to do something, but they, a lot of people learn by example. If they don't know how to praise, why? If they don't know how to praise, show them. Hallelujah. Just as the people of Israel, we look at our mountain instead of the God on top of the mountain. 
And because we start entertaining, and because of it, we, begin, we start to entertain other gods with a little g. We create gods with a little g that make us feel good. And then when our feelings get hurt, when the righteous indignation of our man of God over us gets mad because of the sin of the church, we don't want to take correction. It results in a big church split. You think that you're leaving the church, you're just leaving the presence of God. How many people are dying and lost in this world spiritually because they, they were hurt by a man and they left God? That's why I will never understand, I will never give sympathy to someone that says I was church hurt. I've been church hurt. My spirit's been pressed down because of, because of a man in a church. But you see where I'm at. Because even then I was willing to praise I'm not using this as an opportunity to pro promote me. I'm just speaking from experience. I have been in an altar when everyone else is feeling the presence of God and I felt nothing. Sometimes that's God seeing if you're still going to praise, if you're still going to worship. You know why? Because the way that we feel does not dictate God's value. I had to learn a long time ago. I remember the spot that I was sitting in the altar. I sat there and said, God, I can't feel you. I hear other people talking in tongues. I see people getting breakthroughs, but I can't feel a thing. And I made a decision a long time ago. I'm still going to praise you. Even if I've messed up too many times, God, I'm still going to praise you. Why? Because you're worthy. Worthy of my praise. See, we get our feelings hurt whenever the man of God is convicted by God's spirit and corrects us. We have to be ready for correction. We have to trust in our man of God that he's hearing from the Lord and he's preaching from this word and he is leading us and pressing us toward the mark. We have to trust that the Lord is speaking through him. See, when, when, fa when we face or are faced with a mountain, we call on the mountain mover. The size of the mountain should not dictate the size of your praise. So just like God had to remind the people of Judah and Jerusalem, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. God's trying to remind somebody today, stop worrying and start praising. The battle you're trying to take on alone is not yours, it's God's. Let it go because he has so much more that he wants you to carry out. He's trying to pour so much into you through the vessel of praise, but he can't because you're holding on to hatred. You're holding on to bitterness. You're holding on to doubt. All these things will destroy a spirit. All these things will destroy a church. He's trying to pour so much into you, but he can't because there's things already taking up that space. Let it go. Lay it down at an altar. Let God begin to move through your praise, and he'll change you forever. You see, stand still, as the scripture said. Stand still and stop trying to work everything out. God's trying to reveal to you his power and glory, and you won't stop working on a situation that's not even yours long enough to praise him and enjoy his presence. That's just like Martha. 
Jesus was in her house, and she couldn't stop working long enough to entertain the presence of God. In fact, she was mad at Mary for not working, but Mary had it figured out. See, if this is where Jesus is, this is where you can find me. Mary had it figured out. I want to be just like Mary. I want to be close to Jesus and not distracted with everything going on around me, everything that needs to be done. There's a lot of doers in the church, and there's nothing wrong with that. But whenever God's presence calls for praise, we need to stop working, and we need to stop praising. Start praising. I want to be close to Jesus and not distracted with everything going on around me. Because she drew nigh unto Christ when she knew where he was. When she was hurting and weeping for the loss of Lazarus, he drew nigh unto her. Because whenever everything was going okay, she was willing to praise, praise him with her, with her attention. Whenever she was hurting, her weeping is what moved her. Because we understand through that story, Martha was still complaining. It's like, if you would have shown up, my brother would still be alive. Complaining. God's not moved by complaining, and we do that a lot. But whenever Mary showed up and said the exact same thing, if you would have been my brother would still be alive. How many people have said that to Christ? If you would have been here, my brother, my sister, my, my family members, my uncles and my aunts would still be in church. He's not listening for complainers. He's listening for worshipers, for weepers, and for praisers. Someone walking away from Christ does not demote his value. It reminds you of how good he is that you're still living in the presence and the provision of God. Jesus inhabits the praise of his people. In verse 17, the Lord begins to affirm some things. We're so afraid to stand up and to face some things in our lives because we fear that we have to face it alone. But just as the author says in verse 17, go out against them for the Lord will be with you. I'm going to go to work even though the people there don't respect my beliefs. In fact, they challenge my beliefs. But I'm still going to go to work knowing who my God is. I'm going to pray over my food out loud even if I get dirty looks. When I, go, when I get good news, I'm going to praise God and say, thank you, Jesus, even when no one else will. Why? Because I know who my God is. And whenever he does something for me that he is not obligated to do, I am obligated through my morals and through my, my spirit to give him praise because of it. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat, or if I said that correct, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The scripture shows us what we should do as a church, as the body of Christ. When God's spirit begins to move, you see the head bows and the body follows. When our pastor has a conviction for the church, it is his duty as our spiritual leader, as our shepherd, to make sure that the standard is put in place. It is our job as a church to faithfully uphold the standard and give God praise because he's still convicting his people. The problem with churches today, and this church included, is that people are not being operated, they're not operating through the spirit of conviction. But yet their emotions, 
and their feelings are being hurt. But whenever the Lord tries to convict you, that's whenever it's time to move churches. Whenever the Lord tries to tell you exactly what you need and not what you want to hear. Oh, woe is me. Someone's hurt my feelings. It's time for me to move on. Sometimes the Lord had to speak sternly to his disciples. Why? Because he tries the gentle approach. He tries the parables. He tries to, to be a kind teacher. But some people, uh, we, have stubborn, we have thick heads. We're stubborn as mules, as he said earlier. Sometimes we have, to be, we have to be spoke to sternly to get the message. Listen up, son. I'm going to smack you around until you get it. You need to be praising instead of complaining. We want to complain. Oh. We want to complain about our situations. I have a coworker that was driving me crazy. For about two days, I was complaining about him. And thank God for a Holy Ghost convicted woman in my life that pointed at me with a crooked finger and said, You best pray about it, you best get over it. And I had to come back and I had to apologize to her. And I had to tell her, you know, I can't be up here preaching about being a good person and sitting here complaining. She said, I've been there wanting to complain about a situation, but what good does it do? Nothing. It doesn't make me feel better because if it did, after the first time complaining about it, I would have left it alone. Two days later, I'm still complaining. And it took God using someone that I love to show me back to where I knew I should have been in the first place. Prayer. Praise and worship. Make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that are going to elevate you in God's spirit and not bring you down. I'm coming to a close and the the praise team can come. See, when God speaks, it is in your best interest to respond. Believe this preacher, and I may be young, but I have lived long enough to know running from God only hurts you. In fact, it will hurt others, the ones that care about you. To the young man, to the young woman that runs away from the presence of God and still has God-fearing parents, it hurts them. To the prodigal son that runs away from home, it hurts the father. But don't let that fear To not come back to the house of the father. You know why? Because whenever the son come back, he was afraid that the father wouldn't even let him be a servant. He had prepared this big long speech and said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to my father's house. And, and I know he's not going to be happy with me, but at least there I'll be protected. At least there I'll, be, I'll have food provided. He was prepared to be a servant. But when he got back to the presence of the father, father ran to meet him, put his ring on him, put his robe on him, didn't say you need to get a shower first. We're afraid to come to an altar to be washed clean because we've made too many mistakes. We want to get fixed before we go to the doctor. Does that make sense? Absolutely not. God sees those that are broken and he still moves on them. In fact, all throughout the Bible, that's who he uses, is broken people. 
God can inhabit your brokenness as long as you let him. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force his way into your life, but he wants you, and you need him. I have just a few more things, and I'm done. See, when God speaks, let him move you. If he's calling you to an altar to give your life to him, come to an altar and give your life to him. Begin to pour out your heart to God. He already knows your problems, your failures, your shortcomings, and yet he still wants you. Why? Because he loves you. If you you understand love, it's because he first loved you. Let the Lord change you. And if you don't have the words, if you don't know where to start, Just start by giving him praise. God's power is not dictated by your past, but your future is dictated by God's power. When I began to write this message, I was convinced I was going to preach this message. I was going to preach this. But God said, no, you're going to preach this message. My people are going to hear this message, and my people are going to do it. This message about praise pray you've got that message today. Now God is calling you to an atmosphere of praise. And he will begin to switch that that atmosphere to worship. If you need anything from the Lord today, you know where to come. So if we could, all around this house, if the Lord's convicting you, come to an altar.